Niata, hello. It's Alison here from a church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary, and we're on Peak Warren Country. So Joshua was at the pub, eating and drinking and talking with whoever turned up. There were gay folk and trans folk and very complicated families. There were women who loved work more than children and who liked nothing more than a drink with their friends after work. There were sex workers and drug addicts, blokes fresh out of prison, evangelical atheists, and people who'd been burned by the church. All these and more were crowding around and listening to what Joshua had to say. Just inside the door of the pub, a little huddle of priests and ministers and good Christian folk stood around awkwardly, and they were clutching glasses of warm mineral water and grumbling among themselves. Who is this bloke? they were asking. If he keeps hanging around with the dodgy people, no one will take him seriously. And what's this he's saying? What's with all his stories and his questions and no real answers? Doesn't he know the importance of doctrine? Maybe he needs to rethink his connection with the church. Well, Joshua looked across at them and said, Supposing one of you has a hundred people in your congregation and someone leaves. Maybe they can't buckle down and live like everyone else. Maybe they've been asking lots of questions and rejecting pat answers. Maybe they've been hurt by religious folk or patronised too many times. Maybe their kids are disabled. Maybe they've lost their faith. Whatever the reason, what will you do? Why, you'll leave the 99 to fend for themselves. And you'll spend Sunday looking for the lost one, won't you? And when you find that person, you'll be so delighted that you'll throw your arm around their shoulders and walk them home and invite everyone over for a party. When I first told this story, it was in the month after our formation as a congregation. And when I told it, I was reminding us of our task. That is, we're not called to be an insular group of middle-class folk comfortably assured of our salvation. Instead, we are called to be like Jesus, actively seeking the lost and the lonely and the complicated folk and the vulnerable sheep and the precious coin. And we are called to rejoice when they are found. And I still think this is a fair reading for this and every church. But six years later, some things have changed. As a group, we're less homogenous, less same-same than we were. For some rarer breeds have wandered in, bleating, and some interesting coins have rolled through the door. And the older I get, the more I understand that I too am often lost myself, and the less interested I become in building up the institutional church. So I'd like to think through this story again. Now, the first thing to notice is who it's directed at. Jesus is hanging out with all the so-called sinners, but the story's not directed at them. Instead, he tells it to the religious types who are grumbling, and he tells them the story of a lost sheep and a lost coin, and of the shepherd and the woman who drop everything to go seek them. As church-going listeners, it's easy to imagine that the lost sheep is some poor, misguided sinner outside the church, 
and the lost coin also. But notice this. The lost sheep was part of the flock, but it went wandering. And the lost coin was part of the collection, but it rolled away. So these are stories about religious insiders getting lost and being lost and not doing a thing to find their way home. The sheep is just a foolish sheep. It's likely to walk towards the lion's den as a sheepfold. And the coin is not even sentient. It just lies on the floor in some dark and dusty corner. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees are just religious folk, so obsessed with right living and sin, they don't recognise the deep humanity of the people Jesus is hanging out with. All they can see are sinners, which tells us that they are lost themselves, but they do not acknowledge their own lostness. As for me, I'm just a person who seems to get lost again and again and again. I got terribly lost at university when I was told by evangelicals that women couldn't preach and creation was literally true and gay people had to change. I got lost again when my faithful mother suffered so terribly and died so young. And again when friends didn't know what to do in the face of my grief and they disappeared. I got lost in a situation of church conflict and again when someone betrayed me. And even now I get a bit lost every time I go doom scrolling or a church or pastor or Christian acts in a way which displays their stone cold heart. Which means I get lost pretty much each and every day. In fact, getting lost seems to be my specialty, and there's not a thing I can do about it. But does it matter? Because these stories tell us that God seeks the lost. The shepherd abandons the 99 complacent sheep, the ones who are obedient and have no need of repentance. The shepherd leaves the flock to fend for itself as he wanders uphill and down dale seeking that hopelessly idiotic sheep until he finds it by its pitiful bleats. And when he does find it, he's so delighted that he throws it over his shoulders and carries it to safety, and then he invites his friends and neighbours over to celebrate. When the coin is lost, the woman abandons her housework. Instead of the washing and the cooking and the weaving and the cleaning, She turns the house upside down and inside out. Finally, hips aching, knees creaking, bottom sticking out, she bends down low and shoves her broom into the furthest corner under the bed. She hears a little clink. And when she finally pulls the coin out, she's so delighted that she invites her friends and neighbours over to celebrate. And so we learn this. It is in the nature of God to know when we are lost. And when this happens, God doesn't dismiss us. God doesn't write us off as disobedient or fruitless or stubborn or hard-hearted or faithless or hopeless. Instead, God feels the loss keenly. God feels the loss keenly and seeks us out actively and rejoices so greatly when we're reunited that even the angels sing. 
So there's no need to worry when we get lost because God seeks us out. And this points to something more. When I first preached here on this text, I was suggesting that we seek the lost in order to restore them to the flock. In other words, I was thinking of the flock as church and that we seek out strays to bring them home. And for many folk at Sanctuary, the journey of finding or being found by and then joining this little flock has been incredibly life-giving and healing. But now I think the story is even bigger than this. These days, what I see is that the shepherd leaves the 99 who have no need of repentance in order to find those who've left the fold. In other words, a shepherd doesn't stick with the flock. The woman isn't clutching her purse of nine coins and Jesus doesn't get a gig at the temple. Instead, they're off hunting. And so if we want to encounter God, then we cannot limit ourselves to church or doctrine or any sense of complacency. God's off seeking the lost. And this tells me that we are found by God precisely when we ourselves are lost. In other words, we are found in our doubt and our confusion. When we're wandering the wilderness of dementia, when we're bewildered and vulnerable and afraid. We are found in our questions. We are found when we're straying. We are found by God when we're hidden in darkness and shadow, and it seems that the world has abandoned us. We are found not in the confidence of certainty, but in depressions, in grey areas, in liminal spaces. So if we want to encounter God, we can't barricade ourselves in a religious fortress or a holy huddle. Instead, we must rattle about with other lost things, with the lonely gloves, the odd socks, the broken umbrellas of scruffy people, because we'll be found when we're among the waifs and strays and ratbags and ruffians who cluster around the raconteur Jesus. And we will know we've been found when the words of a stranger and the love of an enemy or the kindness of a friend, or the sweetness of wine and bread, open our eyes to the scriptures and set our hearts burning within us. Indeed, we'll know we've been found by the persistent woman who goes by the name of Grace. Meanwhile, our friend Joshua is still at the pub, or the kitchen table, the drop-in centre, the food bank. He's over the hills and far away, and in the darkest, dustiest shadows of our lives, and even at the communion table, eating and drinking and talking with whoever turns up. Of course he's there, because he's longing to be united with the one who is lost, and he wants to throw a party. Thanks be to God. There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters, and if you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal 
and you'll find the details for this on the website. This week's reflection was prepared on the lands of the Wurundjeri people in a leafy inner suburb. Rainbow lorikeets are nesting in the hollows of plane trees, while the currawong's parabolic calls fill the air. Lemon-scented gum trees stand at attention along the railway line, and the early morning is threaded with their fragrance. I pay my respects to elders past and present, the peace of the land be with us all.